You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. We're going to be reading today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. This is both the story of the resurrection and the time of Jesus' encounter on the road to Emmaus. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went to them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of God. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Such a happy Easter morning. So many good things going on. And 
privilege to be able to preach this morning to you. Uh, There was an article written this past year in the Atlantic, and it was entitled, Trust is Collapsing in America. And it was based on the findings of the Edelman Group. They're a communications and marketing firm. And they go around the world studying these these phenomenon about how much trust um, particular populations have in their government, in the media, in other businesses, and other groups in their countries. And uh, they found this past year that this was the largest drop in the American people's trust that's ever taken place as long as they've been measuring it, studying it for the last 20 years. They've never seen a drop like this. And it was really significant because they said, hey, usually we see this kind of thing when it comes to a national catastrophe or something happened in that nation to produce this. But nothing's happened like that in America, at least. You know, the stock market's strong. Unemployment's low. For all intents and purposes, things are okay. And yet our trust in people and our government and institutions is eroding. And maybe we haven't thought a ton about it, but it's probably true for most of us, right? It's difficult for us to know what can be trusted these days. I mean, we're surprised to find things like honesty and integrity in people anymore. I saw a news story just the other day about somebody that found a big wad of cash on the sidewalk and returned it to the person that dropped it. It was a news story. used to be that would be what you do, right? That's the honest, the right thing to do, but now it makes CNN. Um, we, we get all kinds of prank phone calls now. I don't know if you get them, but I get them all the time. I'm like, man, they must think I'm really stupid because they just keep calling me, trying to get money out of me for different things. But this kind of thing is going on all the time now, and it seems like this is producing in us this, this idea that people just can't be trusted these days. I just don't know who can be trusted. You know? And maybe, maybe you've had somebody um, big time let you down lately, or, or somebody just didn't keep their, their word, or you found out somebody wasn't who they said they were. And so you have good reason for losing trust. But that's one of the reasons I love our text today is because it screams at us that there's one person that can be trusted, for sure. I'm I'm hoping you have more people in your life that can really be trusted too. But there's one person for sure that can be trusted, and his name is Jesus. It's a pretty simple concept I've got for you this morning, but it couldn't be more important for your life as a Christian. This idea that Jesus can be trusted I dare say this concept um, is at the center of the Christian faith. Like, if you don't get this concept, you really don't understand what it means to be a Christian. That Jesus must be trusted. And so that's the one idea I bring to you this morning. That we can, in fact, place all of our trust on Jesus. And we're told this twice in this passage, both by the angels and by Jesus himself. So let's begin by looking at it. Do you have my scripture? No worries. It's always good to preach the Bible. (laughs) Then my own thoughts. Beginning at verse 5 of of the text here in Luke chapter 24, we see the angel's words. It says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Speaking to the women here. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified And on the third day, rise. So so here's the big idea what the angels are getting at with these women at the tomb. They're saying, look, Jesus said, if you'll remember, he would die. And on the third day, he would rise. And he did just as he said he would. He's alive. And because of that, Jesus can be trusted. Actually, Jesus had predicted his death several times. This wasn't something he was trying to keep a secret. 
He had told his disciples very plainly, his followers very plainly, this is what's going to happen. Even used the word crucifixion. Places like Matthew 20, 17 through 19, says it as plainly as can be. And the angels point that out, but strangely enough, it's only after the angels say these words that the women, their, their minds are jogged and they're like, oh yeah, now I remember. He did say that, and my goodness, he did exactly as he said he would. Of course, the apostles were even worse. They didn't believe the women when they came to tell them. And Jesus had told them several times as well. But the answer is yes. He always keeps his promises. Jesus is alive, and he can be trusted. And both of these components go hand in hand, of course, right? Because if he isn't alive, then he didn't keep his word, and he can't be trusted. If he tells you he's going to do this, and he doesn't do it, he can't be trusted. But additionally, think about it, what good is a dead savior anyway? Not much of a savior, right? It might be, might be a novel idea that somebody would give their life for you and die for you, and that might make you feel good, but at the end of the day, he's not a good savior. He can't help us if he stayed dead. But praise God, that isn't what happened. Because three days later, he did get out of that tomb, just as he said he would. And he's shouting at us today that we can place our trust, every last ounce of it, in him this Easter morning. He won't let us down. No matter how many people have betrayed you, let you down, or made you believe that they were something that they're not, Jesus will never do that. He'll never do that. He always keeps his word. He never lies. If he says he's going to rise again from the dead, he will. If he says he offers you forgiveness of sins, he does. If he says that he's going to return as king and set up his kingdom forever and ever and reign in perfect peace, he will. Because Jesus always keeps his word. Jesus can be trusted, and he's alive. I said this is at the center of the Christian faith, this one concept here that Jesus can be trusted, and I mean that because trusting Jesus is the foundation of everything we believe as Christians. See, our word trust is very similar to the biblical word for faith. So when we say we need to have faith in Jesus, really all we're saying is that we trust Jesus. We trust that he is who he said he was. We trust that he did what he said he would do, and we trust that he will do what he says he will do. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means we trust Jesus. I recently had this really cool opportunity to visit a dying man in a hospital. Um, it's one of the unique privileges of being a pastor. You get to be in some sacred moments with people. And his mind was still very sharp. His family wasn't sure that he was a Christian, and he himself was having some, some really big questions, some struggles. And like many people, I think, today, he had rejected Christianity, or at least kept it at bay, simply because he said there were just so many fakes. Hypocrites, basically. People that, that claimed to be a Christian, but they ended up using it as a platform to get monetary gain out of vulnerable people. And he couldn't stomach that. And I said, I don't blame you. It's one of the greatest evils in all the world. But in the end, I said, all right, set all those, those you know, fake Christians aside. What do you do with Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Because that's really the big question for you here. And he said, oh, I believe Jesus. I believe he was the Savior. I believe he was who he said he was. I just can't take all of his other followers. <laughs> I said, amen. You know, and I'm one of those people, by the way. But I said, hey, man, that's all you need, right? That's all you need is to trust in Jesus, to trust that he was who he said he was, but he still felt like his faith was flimsy. He still felt like there was something more that he needed to do at this critical moment in his life. Felt like he was a sort of Christian. 
Maybe some of you have felt like that before. I'm kind of a Christian, not really a full-on Christian. And I remembered an illustration from a, a kid's devotional um, that I still read to my kids. And it's, it's got this drawing of a, a guy hanging off a cliff, grabbing hold of a branch. Some of you know it's, it's by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Great devotional for your kids. And it's all about trust. The big idea is trust. And the point of the devotional is this. Like, if you fall off a cliff and you grab a hold of a branch, what's more important at that moment? I'm asking this guy this question, too. Is it more important that you have really strong faith that that branch can hold you? Or is it more important that the branch can actually hold you? What's more important? You know, is, is the strength of your faith the most important thing? Or is the object of your faith the most important thing? And the guy looked at me and says, well, I suppose it's the, the strength of the branch. I said, yeah, you're exactly right. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said it like this. He said, it is not thy hold on Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. So the strength of your faith, the strength of your trust is not nearly as important as the object of your faith, the object of your trust. You may be trusting in something completely, but if it's a weak and flimsy thing, it won't, it won't give you what it promises to give you. It won't do what it's promising to do. But if you have just a little wee bit of faith, even the, the faith the size of a mustard seed, it's something strong, something real, someone like Jesus can do you a whole lot of good because Jesus can be trusted. There's no stronger place to put your trust this Easter morning than in Jesus Christ. And I encouraged that man this, that day. I said, with everything you have, put your trust in Jesus. Like, grab onto him. He can hold you. He's strong enough to hold you. He can be trusted. Just a little weak faith in Jesus can make a huge difference. And the angels say this Jesus can be trusted because he's alive. He kept his promise. He rose from the dead. And, and he will always do exactly as he said he would do. Now let's get to the risen Lord himself in our passage. Jesus also is telling us here that he can be trusted. He's giving these two guys on the road to Emmaus sort of a resume of trust, I think. And I, it's always been kind of one of my favorite texts because I think it would be fun to have a conversation like Jesus has with two guys about yourself without them knowing that it's you. I mean, it's kind of a cool, it's like, how does this happen? Is Jesus wearing a cloaking device or, you know, he's some sort of a disguise? But they don't see that it's Jesus, and he's trying to wake them up to the reality of, like, guys, it's me. It's me. Um, and, and so let's look at just how he handles them. These guys are disappointed. Their hope is busted. Look at verse 21. They said, but we had hoped this is the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that this was the promised Messiah. They knew the Old Testament. Obviously, they didn't have the, the New Testament at that point. But they knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. And they, they thought, this looks like it could be. And they got really disappointed. But they had missed something. And then Jesus speaks to them. And look how he handles them. He says in verse 25, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Same thing. Trust. Have faith. Slow of heart to believe and have faith or trust. And then he started with Moses and the prophets and proceeded to show them how the whole Bible, the whole thing had been pointing to him. He says, this whole book, you guys, is whispering my name. The whole thing is really about me. I'm the main character in this whole story. I did exactly what I said I would do. I can be trusted. And then Jesus took them through what I think was the coolest Bible study that ever happened. I mean, can you imagine having a Bible study with Jesus, not knowing it's him? And he's teaching you how you're supposed to read the Bible? It's going to be a pretty amazing thing. I imagine it went something like this. And Jesus says, all right, guys, we're going to have to stop and just sit down 
and talk about some things. Because there's some things you guys have missed. It says, let's just go back to the beginning and let's start with Adam. It says, remember Adam? They said, yeah, sure. It says, he's the first representative of the human race. But I'm the second Adam. I'm the new Adam. So just like through Adam, all people inherited a sin nature, through me they can have a new nature. Just like through Adam, all people became sinful, through me they can become righteous. It said, Adam sinned at a tree, but I atoned for sin at a tree. Through Adam's sin, it brought a curse and thorns, but I wore a crown of thorns and removed the curse. It says, Adam ran from God in a garden, but I ran to God in a garden. Adam was naked because of his sin, and he was ashamed. But I was stripped naked and bore the shame. He says, don't you see it, guys? This is all about me. It's always been pointing to me. He says, guys, you remember our father Abraham, of course. Just like Abraham was called to leave his country and go to a foreign land with the promise of many descendants, so I left my father's side to go to a foreign land, be born as a baby, with the promise of many more descendants. Just as Abraham was called to be a blessing, so I was called to bless many more. I'm the greater Abraham. He says, guys, don't forget about Isaac. Genesis 22. He says, remember how Isaac was the promised son to Abram and Sarah? Remember how he was the, the one and only, the son they loved? And he says, remember how God called, them, called Abraham to sacrifice his son, to do a human sacrifice? He says, my father doesn't do that kind of thing. That's something for pagan gods. What he was doing was he was showing how he was going to rescue his people through me. That's what he was doing. He says, if you remember, Isaac carried wood up a hill on his back. If you remember, God provided a substitute sacrifice in place of Isaac. And he said just a few days ago, as my father's only beloved son, I also carried wood up a hill on my back. I also became the substitute sacrifice so that my people can live. I'm the greater Isaac. He says, do you see it? Are you starting to get it? Jesus says, it's all pointing to me. And he says, and remember Joseph. He was betrayed by his brothers for pieces of silver, thrown into a pit and left for dead. But he came out to save his people, a whole nation. He says, I too was betrayed by, by my brothers for pieces of silver. I was dead and was thrown into a pit. But three days later, I came out of the pit to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation. He says, fellas, think about Moses for a minute. He was a promised deliverer, and Pharaoh tried to kill him as a baby. But God used him to rescue his people from the hand of Pharaoh, out of slavery, toward the promised land, bring them toward the promised land. He said, in a similar way, I'm, I'm the promised deliverer. A king tried to kill me as a baby, and now I bring my people out of their slavery and bondage to sin, and I free them and lead them toward a land I've promised them. So are you starting to see this? Is this starting to make some sense to you? You've known these scriptures forever and ever. He says, remember the feast of the Passover. He says, that too is about me. I'm the Passover lamb. When my blood covers over someone, they pass from death to life. He says, I'm the Yom Kippur. I'm the day of atonement. I'm the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of my people. And I'm the scapegoat who removes their shame far from them. It's all been about me. He says, think about Joshua. His name means savior. He took the people into the promised land to conquer their enemies. He says, I'm also my people's savior. I lead them into their promised land, defeating their enemies of Satan, sin, and death. It's all been pointing to me. He says, don't forget about the Boaz story. You know, Ruth was a Moabite, he says. Not deserving the kindness of Boaz as a Hebrew, 
but he was a good and kind redeemer. And he took Ruth and loved her and made her his wife. He says, my people don't deserve my love either, but I also am a good and kind redeemer. I love them with an everlasting love, and I'm returning for my bride, the church. He says, and who doesn't remember David, our great king? He says, well, he too was pointing to me. You know, remember the prophecy that someone from David's line would always sit on the throne of Israel? He says, that is precisely about me. That's exactly about me. He's like, I'm the greater David. I'm going to reign, but I'm not going to reign just for a few years. I'm going to reign forever and ever. It's always been about me. He says, guys, I'm like Nehemiah, building the walls of a city that will soon come down from heaven when I come to reign as king. He says, if you remember the prophet Isaiah made a very specific prophecy, guys. Think about this. He's like 700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Like, what are the chances of that? How many kids being born from virgins these days? I mean, that's a big promise. 700 years before it happened, he goes, here I am, born of a virgin. He says, be mindful of Jonah too. Like him, I was called on a mission to bring people back to God as a prophet. But I went the first time, Jesus says. Like Jonah, I spent three days in darkness, but I came out to proclaim the good news to many. He says, you might remember the prophet Micah 400 years ago. He prophesied that I'd be born in Bethlehem. He's like, I'm not from Bethlehem. I'm from Nazareth, but I was born in Bethlehem. What are the chances, guys? And Jesus just sitting down with these two guys, going through the whole of the scripture, showing them how it all points to him as the great rescuer. And Jesus was right to do this. All these things had been pointing to him, telling of him, promising that he would come, and then he did. And when he came, he told us what he would do. And most importantly, he did exactly as he said he would do. He died and rose again, just as he said he would, because Jesus can be trusted. I'd ask you today, who or what are you trusting in? Where is your faith Who or what are you looking to to save you, to free you from the things that bind you up, to give you life and purpose and identity? See, because everyone builds their life on faith or trust in something. Everyone does. Even atheists do. Um, Love the quote from Richard Dawkins, famous atheist, wrote the book The God Delusion and did an interview in the New York Times. And he said this, I cannot know for certain, which is a big thing for Richard Dawkins to say, but I think God is improbable. And I live my life on the assumption, or faith position, that he is not there. So even atheists, they have to build their lives on faith, on trust, on belief. A belief that God's not there, it's a faith position. What are you building your life on today? What are you trusting in today? Some of us trust in the usual human things to satisfy us and give our lives happiness and joy and meaning. Things like money, sex, power, the pursuit of happiness. Those are obvious ones that we as Christians are always keeping a watchful eye on, guarding ourselves from and turning from. But I think there are, as we go along in the Christian life, there are other subtle things that we begin trusting in as well. Um, I think some of us begin trusting in our own goodness to save us. I mean, let's just face it. It gets kind of old being so dependent on Jesus when it'd just be easier to clean yourself up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're Midwesterners, you know, for crying out loud. You take care of yourself. We trust in our own goodness. Some of us have encountered really difficult things since deciding to follow Jesus, and oftentimes that can be a point where we turn and we start to trust other things. 
Maybe we feel like he hasn't been there for us. Maybe we feel like he hasn't come through for us in the way that we've needed him to, and certainly not in the timing we've been asking. We've questioned, can Jesus really be trusted? Some of you ask that question in our office. Can I really trust him? And in the midst of our uncertainty, we often develop other ways of coping with the difficult things in life. We begin to carry more anxiety, fear, and worry than we ought to. Basically start trusting in ourselves at that point. Or we start trying to escape the difficult realities of life um, in other different methods. We start trusting in other things to comfort us and fill us the only way that Jesus can. It could be sports, hobbies, vacations, possessions, bank accounts, careers. None of us are immune to this. The really difficult reality is that all these things, at the end of the day, they just can't be trusted. They just can't be trusted. They're never going to do what they promise they can do. They only lead to brokenness and death when we place our trust in them. And so we need to have a place reliable, something that someone that can actually be trusted, and that, my friends, is Jesus. And for some of us, trusting Jesus is easier than for others. I get that. And I'm not saying this is going to be an easy thing, and I'm not saying that it's going to happen overnight. But I'm telling you today, there is no better time to start trusting Jesus than today, Easter morning. Just make it a marker for your life, for the rest of your life. And this is part of my story, too. See, I was a college student, and I had always known about Jesus and was trying really hard to do the right things. But I started trusting him, really trusting him, about 15 years ago, Easter morning. See, I'd carried some shame with me for a long time. I couldn't tell anyone about it. I was really bound up by it, just, just, was, just was riddled with shame. And then I came to this church. It wasn't called Life Church at the time, but I came to this church and heard this wild preacher. <laughs> and he talked about how I didn't have to carry my sin anymore because of a Sunday that happened 2,000 years ago. He said it was a Sunday unlike any other. A Sunday unlike any other because that Sunday changed every day thereafter. It was because of this Sunday morning, unlike any other, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, that it meant I could be forgiven and set free. It meant that I didn't have to carry my stuff with me anymore, that I could trust it to Jesus. And that day there was grace for me to finally trust Jesus, to finally stop trying and to start trusting to let go of all my own efforts, to clean up my own record, and to simply trust that he would forgive me. I mean, I figured, hey, the guy beat death. Maybe he could do it. <laughs> Maybe he could forgive me. And he did. The power of that sin, the power of my past broke for me that day. The way I've been praying, it would break for you today as well, if that's what you're needing here today. And I'm wondering, what, if, if anything, are you needing to trust to Jesus Today, maybe your story's a lot like mine, or maybe it's nothing like mine, but my guess is that most of us in here have something that, that's popped into our minds, or maybe that the Holy Spirit's brought to our minds that says, you really need to trust Jesus with that. You really need to exchange that fear or anxiety or that other thing in exchange. You need to exchange that for trusting Jesus. I want you to just sit and think about that for a moment. What is it that you need to exchange for trusting Jesus for some of us performance? For some of us, it is anxiety, fear, and worry, and we're just constantly carrying that with us. For some of us, it's holding on to false trust like money and, and success and careers and just always having to try so hard. Flimsy things. 
I, I put a response card in the seat back in front of you. And we're just going to do this simple little exercise. If the Holy Spirit's putting something on your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to just very simply respond this morning. None of us are going to read it. It's going to be between you and God and a close believer friend. All right? Um, so on this card, I've just written simply, today I'm trusting the risen Lord Jesus with blank. So what are you going to exchange? What are you going to trust him with? And I encourage you to write that thing in there. Sometimes there's just power in writing it out. But you'll notice there's another blank at the bottom of the card. And that blank is for a trusted, believing friend. Right? Hopefully you have that person. That you can take this to them and say, you know what, look, in the service today, I trusted Jesus with this thing, and I want you to help me as I walk that out. I believe so many times the Holy Spirit uses um, Christ in our, other, in our believing friends to help heal us and bring us to the place that God wants us to be. And so you share that with them and just say, would you journey with me as I continue to trust Jesus in this place? Dear friends, it's been my prayer all week that we could bring our whole lives, maybe not just one thing, but our whole lives to Jesus today, Resurrection Sunday, and trust them to him. Like he's worthy of that, right? He can handle it. He's strong enough. He's proven to us that he loves us and that he can be trusted because he died and rose again from the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're especially thankful today, Jesus, as we hopefully are all year, that you gave your life, but that you didn't stay dead, that you conquered Satan's sin and death for us, and that we don't have to carry our sin with us anymore because you've carried it. We don't have to carry our shame. You bore the shame. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, right now that there would be um, immense grace for anyone in this room needing that power to, to have something like that break in them, something like that broke in me 15 years ago. Let's pray you'd bless them today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In the second century, Melito of Sardis wrote, When the Lord had clothed himself with humanity and had suffered for the sake of the sufferer, and been bound for the sake of the imprisoned, and had been judged for the sake of the condemned, and buried for the sake of the one who was buried, he rose up from the dead. Jesus Christ sets the condemned man free. He gives the dead man life. He raises up the one who has been entombed. Who is his opponent? Jesus Christ is the one who destroyed death, and triumphed over the enemy, and trampled Hades underfoot, and bound the strong one, and carried off man to the heights of heaven. Therefore, come, all families of men, you who have been befouled with sins and received forgiveness for your transgressions. Jesus Christ is your forgiveness. He is the Passover of your salvation. He is the lamb which was sacrificed for you. He is your ransom. He is your light. He is your savior. He is your resurrection. He is your king. He is leading you up to the heights of heaven. He will show you the eternal father. He will raise you up by your right hand. This is the one who is the alpha and the omega. This is the beginning and the end. An indescribable beginning and an incomprehensible end. This is the Christ. This is the King. This is Jesus. This is the General. This is the Lord. This is the one who rose up from the dead. This is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He bears the Father 
and is born by the Father, to whom be the glory and power forever. Amen. If you would like to know the resurrected Jesus or would like prayer for anything, please come up and speak with one of the prayer teams.